We did it. Worlds are in the books. It's time to take a break and thank Koros for sponsoring the $200,022 Worlds Prediction Contest on Let'sRun.com. Thousands of you played. It made Worlds even more interesting. And our top three get some great Koros gift certificates. Remember, if you're in the need of a high-performance GPS watch, Koros is where it's at. It's the watch of Elie Kipchoge, Emma Coburn, and hey, why not you? Coaches, remember, Koros has a training hub, resources to take your team's training to the next level. Check it out. Link in the show notes, koros.com. And those of you who want to take your track and field viewing to the next level, you need a VPN. Sometimes you need an overseas IP address. With NordVPN, you can do that in seconds. You can secure your web traffic as well. Browse from anywhere in the world. Browse securely. NordVPN is where it's at. It's a VPN we use at Let'sRun.com. Multiple people, multiple devices can share one account. We only have one account at Let's Run. Check it out. Let'sRun.com slash VPN. Let'sRun.com slash VPN. Link in the show notes. Welcome to Track Talk, the world's best track and field podcast. Since we last talked, the women's hurdles have been broken by Toby Amison and Sydney McLaughlin, who have absolutely destroyed the world records. The 100 hurdles and 400 hurdles, Gudolf Sagai and Jakob Ingebrigtsen, the world's second best 1500 meters, have walked away with the 5000 meter titles. Ah-Thing Mo is golden. And Emmanuel Career once again. All of that and more on today's podcast. We'd love to hear from you. What did you think of Worlds? Pick up the phone, leave us a voicemail, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. On today's show, we will have a voicemail from the fake Josh Kerr. We also have Devin Allen's agent, Paul Doyle, on at the Info Show to talk about the controversy, what's happened since then, what is next for Devin Allen. So be sure to listen to that at the end of the show. But Right now, myself, Robert Johnson, as well as my genetic equal and identical twin brother, Weldon Johnson, will be giving you the takeaways from Worlds. We're not going to go event by event. We've been doing that on the daily podcast for supporters called Members. We're going to give you the, our biggest winners, our biggest losers, stuff like that. Weldon, good to see you. Good to be here, Robert. Good to be here. And thanks to everyone who signed up Supporters Club. We had really fun doing the daily podcast. It's great. Tons of you guys signed up during Worlds. Thank you. But Robert, you're burying the lead. Where's Jonathan Galt? When an employee goes AWOL and after just a few days after he's gone viral on Jamaican media, I'm not sure if I should bring that up. I don't know if the mental stress of being one of the few remaining legitimate journalists in track and field got to him. I don't see him here. Where is he, Weldon? Last I saw him, we were at the Wild Duck together. He was invited to a late night party after that, an Oregon track club that's apparently still in existence. Late night party. He turned it down. He said, no, I got to go finish some recaps. So we go back to the Airbnb, 1.30, work. I worked straight to 3.30 and went to the airport. I thought John went to bed, but I haven't seen him since. Well, these young guys, you know, they can burn it on both ends. 
Weldon, were you not invited to the party? Like, was it, is it a party for like, I don't only people that are younger. Don't think I got the invite to this party, but Wild Duck was happening. I insisted on going. John wanted to work straight through. I said, John, we ha- have to go to the Wild Duck once at Worlds. It's the final night. It's not going to be like USA. So there'll be a lot of people there. And there were tons of athletes. Am I allowed to reveal the names? I don't know. We once did an article in Let's Run the party scene in Eugene, but that's when I was young and still an athlete. But everything was, you know, Cooper Tier was at one corner of the bar. Fanboy was there. Abby Steiner, Jenna Prandini, but the guy who who stole the show for me, and probably my favorite breakthrough performer at Worlds, for sure the guy who did the best at Worlds and didn't get a medal, Luis Grijalba, Robert, wearing still wearing his Guatemalan jersey at the bar at 1.30 a.m., I mean, props off to him. What a race. Fourth place in the 5,000 meters for him. And I'll link to his interview on YouTube. It's great. I just love this guy's personality, his outlook in life. It's a great story. You know, he's a dreamer um, trying to get it so he can actually leave America without getting special permission from the State Department. But just even though he's not an American citizen yet, it's the American dream, what he represents. And, he, you know, he does it for Guatemala, which... America is the land of immigrants. It's a great, great story. But Jonathan, in theory, is driving back across America. Two weeks vacation. He might be at Yellowstone or one of those things. Robert, I mean, I I thought he might call in, leave a voicemail or something. Should I check the Let's Run credit card to see, like, he's actually buying gas? Or is that like an invasion of privacy? Well, just to make sure he's safe. We're, We're kind of like his many parents. You know, we're, we're at the age when parents sort of are most worried. Like, his parents are past that age now. Once the kids get out of college, they stop worrying. But we're kind of the natural age. I don't want to reveal my age. I'm almost, I'm over 39, let's put it that way. But this is kind of the age when parents worry about stuff. We're worried about you, Jonathan. But I'm glad Grialba was wearing his jersey. I don't think he's quite recognizable yet, like with the public at large. So that might have been a smart call. Like, hey, I'm the guy that got fourth in the world. Um. I still don't know how that's possible. Like that a guy who's basically runs his PB, he was like within one second of his PB on a warm, sunny day that was a tactical race when they were on like 1325 pace with okay to go, runs his PB and goes from ninth to fourth in the last 200. And it just makes me think, isn't this a huge missed opportunity for Grant Fisher? Like if Grialva is within a quarter second of a medal, how in the hell does Grant Fisher not have a medal? But look, we don't want to go event by event. So what I thought about doing Weldon was my I've got my three biggest winners here from Worlds. Got my three biggest losers. See where that gets us. Then we've got, I'm sure, the Josh Kerr audio, Paul Doyle audio. That should take us pretty far. But are you ready? The biggest winner for me at the 2022 World Athletics Championships. Let's hear it. European men's distance running. They had an amazing meet. You realize that a European-born man had not won a 1,500 or 5,000 at Worlds since the very first Worlds, 1983, when Steve Cram and even Coughlin won the 15 and the 5. 
think there were 16 worlds since then. So that's 0 for 32 if I'm doing my math, my counting correctly. But these worlds, there was two. Jake Whiteman and a huge upset. And then Jakob Ingebrigtsen in the men's 5,000. Both win the gold. And now that Jakob's won this 5,000, I'm just wondering, how is he ever going to lose a 5,000 at a championship? It's a good question. Should, we, should I play the audio again? We don't want to repeat what we did for, this, for the Supporters Club because we did daily podcasts. So this is tough. We usually, you got to join the Supporters Club today, people. Do you want to save 20% running shoes? If you just say yes to that, join the Supporters Club. Let'srun.com slash subscribe. But also you get a second podcast every week. And usually when we just do one extra podcast a week, you know, we that sort of previews the weekend action. We don't have to worry about repeating too much stuff. But we just did like, what, 11 straight days of podcast. And now I don't want to repeat stuff. But maybe we should repeat this clip, Robert, because it was so good. I was shocked when we said this. But I asked Jakob, I'm like, hey, man, you essentially, you got... Beat in the 1500, you easily won this 5K. Are you more of a 5K runner than a 15 hit runner? And there was no question in his answer. I wanted to go up to, uh, up front and just run, uh, run, run fast from there because then I know uh, nobody else is going to beat me. You made it look easy. Are you surprised that no one is with you? Uh, no. I think that's that's what I'm trying to achieve here. That there's not. There's no surprise. Are you a better 5K runner now than 15? I've always been a better 5K runner, but that's mostly because of my training. Uh, I do a lot of mileage, so of course I'm gonna gonna be. Or my strength is is running strength. And that, that's what I'm working on. So it's uh, takes more for me to to go down to the 1500 because then it takes, of course, you need to train a little bit more specific at that pace. Okay, it's pretty interesting, like to hear him say that because. So many runners want to stay in the 15, 15, and then not admit they're 5K guys. He's admitting he's a 5K guy. You should have asked him, though, which one does he prefer? And he acknowledges, I'm better at the 5,000. And I've always heard about his unreal lactate threshold values, and they compared him to his brothers. It's way higher. So I always thought, is this guy a half marathon guy? Whatever. But now that he's won this, again, it's like, how is he going to lose it? And it became very clear to me. Like after, The more I thought about pacing and drafting, how hard it is to lead and all this stuff, and I was very worried that he would lose the 1500 and he did because you've got to be way better than everybody to run from the front. Like he tried to do. He should have never tried to take that lead earlier when it was going fast. If they're leading, let them lead and then take it over late. But it's the opposite in 5,000. He's got the most speed and he can run 1240 something. So then it's hard for anyone to beat him in that event. And you've heard about these unreal lactate threshold values that he has. Like I've always wondered, is he a 10 K half marathon guy? And I'm just so excited. He says, I want to run it all. Like, I really wonder if he would have won that 10,000 if he was in it, the more I think about it. You know, and we, we talk about Kip Choge being the GOAT and running all the majors. Well, how about this guy winning a medal in everything? 15, 5, 10, and steeple. That would be unreal. Got a long way to go, Jakob, if you want to do it. But again, if, if you need a coach... I can set you up. I'll let you do it. I had a kid run the 800 and the 3,000 Ivy League championships. I will let you do the steeple and the 10 if you want to. The other big thing, uh, you love to toot your own horn. I thought you were going to say let's was a big winner because it also came out that 
Jakob has listened. So he seemed to like us. And maybe the, the end of coaching is, is easy for you, Robert. And I don't know if we, I think we played it in the supporters club podcast. I will link to the YouTube interview with Jakob because I essentially asked him, he's like, I want to do it all. We're like 10 K. And he's like, if the 10 K was tomorrow, I would run it. And I said, steeple. He's like, if the steeple was the day after I would run it. Let's, let's get this stuff going at some championship or they somehow need to make stuff like that possible. But I just loved his attitude. You know, these young, young superstars, they got to keep challenging themselves. Like Sydney McLaughlin's looking for like, what's next for her? Jakob. I mean, there was this big worry that he would get, you know, bored and retire early. He seems very motivated. And, and I think also losing the team. I'm sure he didn't want to do it, but it, it's probably good for his career. It's good for the rest of us. It keeps him motivated. I agree. And I just love some of his quotes. Like I've, I have a Google doc here. My secret Google doc page is about just some of the quotes I've read from him. Like in the last few weeks, whether it's the New York times, whether it's whatever. I mean, like one of these quotes was, I didn't want anyone to doubt who was the best runner tonight. And if you can make a race boring, that's a good achievement. I just love that. And then there was one thing well in that New York Times profile that reminded me reminded me of when you were training in Flagstaff and you had one of these Kenyan guys training with you. And you were kind of amazed that, you know, you would train in the morning and then maybe, I don't know if we'd started Let's Run, but you would do some stuff during the day. But I think that was back when the dot-com was going crazy. You'd watch CNET or try to learn how to program so you could start Let's Run and then go training again. And I remember you telling me that your Kenyan buddy did absolutely nothing in the middle of the day, just slept and just basically stared off into space. Right. And Jakob in this New York times profile said the same thing. He says, I'm always waiting for something and always training for something. My life is basically a waiting game. If people manage to study at training camp while they also are doing two sessions a day, they're not training as they should be. You have to sleep and then be doing something brain dead to keep yourself prepared for the next session. And then his brother said, I don't think brain dead is the right word. Jakob, but that just reminded me of you, your 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 experience at Flagstaff from 20, 23 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I was a hack runner, but well, speaking of New York Times, they last week called me one of America's best distance runners, which is a complete joke, but I'll take it. But yeah, I found running to be at that level mentally draining, almost as much as physical. Physical. So staying at the top for I see how it's hard to stay at the top for five years. I mean, I really gave it a go for four years, three years. I obviously didn't have any success like these guys, but just mentally staying focused and getting the most out of your body. And it was, I felt like always a struggle. Okay. Before we move on to other things, I want to say one thing about related to the 5,000 and, you know, Yaka being a big winner at Worlds. And it's my message board post of the week. It's from Thoughts Leader. And for having the message board post of the week, Thoughts Leader, you can get a free burrito truck, track club t-shirt. Just email me, Robert, and let's run. I'll send it to you. But there was a thread about what were these guys thinking? Why didn't someone push it? They had to know that Yaka was going to win it if it went slow. And Thoughts Leader explained why no one pushed it. And it's the classic prisoner's dilemma case if you study economics. And at 5,000, the person who pushes the fourth kilometer or before close to all out invariably serves as a sacrificial lamb and loses. That is, unless they are hugely better than the field. It is too, too grueling an event with margins too thin for an athlete to win, crushing that 
the pace like that. The last athlete capable of it was the GOAT, Kenanisa Bikili. He did it in 2008, running 12.57 with a 4.57 last 2000. The field then was not at this year's level. The only other people close to him were Elliot Kipchoge, who was in 12.50 shape, and Edwin Soy, 12.55 shape, and then a few 13-flat type guys. That's a good point. I mean, think about this year. There's a lot of guys in the 1240s. So being in the 1230s, you're only 10, you know, 10 seconds better than him. Um, back then, Bikili was in world record shape and at the peak of his powers. He had a 10-second victory in the Golden League final. The good is, as good as Chepta guy is, he's at most 5 to 15 seconds better in a time trial than a large group, including Ingebrigtsen, Kameli, Krop, Berega, Kajelcic, Grant Fisher, Mohamed, and so on. So no one athlete is going to do it alone. And after Uganda's Oscar Chalima won his heat, there was no way they could ask him to be the sacrificial lamb. The Kenyan coaches might have had ideas of pushing it faster, but Krop knew that the pace was shaping up well for him given that he has great speed. A fast pace benefited Kameli, but he knew pushing it near this limit would just mean he'd have no kick. The only guy that should have taken it would have been Abenyo. Abenyo would have been that guy to take the fall, but he was unwilling to sacrifice himself. So it goes on a little bit, but it, it's a great point. Like, all these guys themselves want to medal. So if they push it, they're not going to medal. So there's no one that wants to, to risk it. And as it is, the Kenyans, even if one Kenyan does sacrifice himself, let's say they make a Benio push it. Well, guess what? That's probably helping Joshua Cheptegai just as much as anybody else. So maybe Cheptegai wins. And then you, the best you're going to do is get second. Well, guess what? They got second anyways. So they kind of, if we knew that Inga Britton was going to handle the heat, well, yes, they handed him the gold. But... It's a tough call. And this is why I think he's almost unbeatable in, in these championship 5,000s moving forward. Well, after Tokyo, everyone speculated he wouldn't lose a 1,500 again. And he's lost a couple big ones since then. So, but the 5K, yeah, it's harder because he, he's going to have the kick the last K. I mean, he's got the speed and the endurance. It's a lethal combination. All right, turning to biggest losers... This wasn't on the cards, but you talking prompted me to think of this. Was one of the biggest losers stereotypes, Robert? You're always coming on here spouting how the you know Kenyans have this advantage, the East Africans have this advantage. Europeans go one, two, three in the fifteen hundred. They win the five k. We have a Guatemalan American, or he's just Guatemalan right now, who gets fourth in the five k. I mean, this sort of defies the stereotypes they have of the sport. I think it's a good thing. Oh, the Ethiopian men shot off, shot out of the track medals. I mean, this was a bad weekend for stereotypes. Well, they were shut out of the flat track medals. The Ethiopian men did pick up a medal in the men's steeplechase. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, that's why I let it. I mean, yes, I, I am a big proponent in genetics. Like, you and I are naturally pretty skinny. We could lift a lot of weights. We'd never make the NFL an offensive, an offensive lineman, no matter how hard we tried. But I do think we can't let it determine us. Like, there are outliers. I mean, there are... Yes, we, we've seen some really good white sprinters. We're now seeing some white distance runners. Not everyone has to be born in East Africa. And the Grialva thing, I mean, a lot of it... Yes, how hard you work, your environment, your coaching, all of this makes a difference. I mean, we used to have a lot of good Mexican distance runners when you and I were kids, went in the New York City Marathon, et cetera. I don't know if it's too violent of a place now. Think about all the talent in Central America that doesn't ever get discovered. There's got to be pretty significant. Grijalva. I mean, if Leo Manzano doesn't grow up in the States, he probably isn't got an Olympic medal. So, yes, it's 
that that's a very good point. Um, you know, for that. But you talked about the struggles of the Ethiopian men on the track, only one medal in the steeple. I guess I'll mention it now because he was one of my three biggest losers. It's not necessarily individual. Sometimes it's a theme. Selman Brega. Coming in, we wanted to know who was the king of the distances. Would somebody win the five and the 10 or the 15 and the five? We still have a split decision here because no one has won two events. But Borrega, I just, I'm kind of stunned by how poor he was. Fifth in the 10, 12th in the five. I just, I can't believe he ran that poorly. But it shows you how, you know, how hard it is, um, you know, to repeat. Speaking of which, that gets me to, to my second biggest winner here. And it's two women that did repeat. Hell, maybe I should put all four. I think Mo and Sydney McLaughlin because they're Americans. Look, it's extremely hard to win a gold and then win it the next year. I know people think, oh, yeah, you're the best in the world. But a lot of things normally have to go right for you to win. To do it again the next year is not that easy unless you're sort of way better than everybody else. And I guess those two women, I think Mo and Sydney McLaughlin, are way better than everybody else. But they repeated their gold, and we can't just take that for granted. And they, you know, Othing really had to work for it. Sydney, she just, I mean, did it with ease in impressive fashion with style points. But think about this. Well, for the women, it was much more common to repeat. I think you had four of the 10 track events repeat the four, eight, 15, and the four hurdles. So, Shiny Miller, Olibo, Othing, Mo, Faith Kipugan, and Sydney McLaughlin. Now, all of those are all pretty dominant women. So that was 40%. On the men's side, hardly anybody repeated on the track. The only two people actually were mid-D runners, Emmanuel Career and Sofian Alpacali. Nobody else. So 20% on the men's side, um, 40% on the women's side in terms of track. I actually looked it up in field events where there's another 10 events. Um, Barshim, Duplantis, well, I guess, Half of Barshim because he split a gold. Duplantis, PPP in the triple jump, and Ryan Krauser. So that's four men. Najat, Mihambo, Rojas, and the multi woman, what's her name? Theom, something. So four women as well. But big winners there. You're repeating is not easy. After our Tokyo podcast, we had a segment who's most likely to essentially run the table? through the Paris Olympics or maybe even the world's after that because we have a world championship or Olympics every year through 2025. Yeah, win all five. Yeah. At one point, even like we, John threw out Salomon Borrega's name. He's like, Borrega, he looked good. Maybe, you know, because the 10 is sort of doable. Well, Borrega doesn't even medal in any event. Sydney's She's young. She's 22. She's probably the best candidate. If she stays motivated, she might switch events. I think Mo, I think, is your best bet. But I mean, look what happened. That that was the race of the championships for me on the women's side. Well, Sydney McLaughlin's world record for different reasons, but distance race. I love the women's eight. It exceeded the hype in terms of the battle up front because I wasn't sure that Keely would give her a challenge. She gave her challenge to the wine. You had drama with Keeley coming on the inside. I think kind of nudging over a little bit. It was great. And, but yeah, does she keep doing that? She almost got beat, you know, in year two, barely one. And we think she's almost invincible, which is crazy. It just shows how hard it is. Faith Kipiegan 
we talk about Robert how hard it is to win the 15, but on the women's side, we kind of take it for granted. She just destroyed them all. And she, look how good Gudolf Segei is. Yeah, perhaps I should have Segei as a big winner. I'm really excited that she won the five because she's so good. And that was one of the things I don't think we gave her enough credit. Like, John was acting like, oh, Faith just destroyed her. I mean, she did in the end, but I thought Gudolf put up a good fight. And I just don't know why moving forward, I don't understand why Gudolf just, just doesn't try to sit on Faith. She's always leading, and then Faith comes around her. Like, she's close enough to her in, in terms of PBs. If she sits on her, I think she might have a chance. Like, I just think that that's what she should do. But even in the 5,000, she likes to run from the front. I would totally just tell her, get in the Diamond League final and just sit on Faith and see what happens. Like, what do you have to lose? Like, you're still going to finish second. Like, you're better than everybody. Like, I would really like to see her do that. Okay, I want to get to my third biggest winner from Worlds. Oh, wait, before I do that, we were talking about earlier about the women's favorites, you know, what women, people repeating. I was thinking about this. In the women's running events, I think the favorite won almost every single event. 100, Shelly favorite price. 200, Sherika Jackson. 400, Miller Wave. 800, Miller. 1,500, Faith Kipiagon. I'm not sure who the betting favorite was in the 5,000. I assume it was G'day. She didn't win. 10,000, good day one. I think it was every event except for the 100 hurdles and women's 5,000. It went totally according to chalk. Anyways, my third biggest winner for the meet was the U.S. men's sprinters. And these narratives of, you know, what's wrong with the coaching and this and that. I mean, last year at the Olympics, the U.S. men win zero gold medals. We won five medals total and zero golds. At the, a year later, it's not like we'd made wholesale changes to the coaching in this country. The U.S. men win 11 medals and four goals, including sweeps of the 100 and 200 with six different athletes. So U.S. men's sprinters were the big winner, and also the U.S. female throwers were pretty good as well. Um, we medaled in all four throwing events for the first time. Got five medals and one gold, whereas in the Olympics we only had two medals and one gold. So USA sprinting, men's side, pretty incredible. You sweep the 100 and the 200. It's hard to do any better than that. And it's sort of the names, well, not in the 100, but it, well, I guess a couple years ago, I thought Fred Curley might be challenging Michael in the 400. But it was with Wiles and like these two really big, that we kind of expected to win world titles. And I don't know if that's unfair to Michael Norman, but he got it done. There were a lot of question marks surrounding Lyles. He got it done. Really got it done. Because I'd almost forgotten about Michael Johnson's record. 1932 had been there so long. And it's sort of an era where I think 19.5 is really fast. So to go 19.31 was pretty amazing. But <laughs> he can't rest around, right? This, this, Who knows? He could win everything or that could be his final world title, right? That's how good Arian Knighton is. I mean, we were set up so well in that event. Let's see, we're L is twenty twenty eight. We're sick. Lyles will be twenty eight years old. I think that's right. No, Lyles is older now. He's. I think he just turned twenty five. Yeah, no, Lyles. Excuse me, will be thirty one. So LA twenty twenty eight. He's probably past his prime, but Arian Knighton will be twenty six. So. 
it's going to be great. Speaking of Aaron Knight, get a lot of publicity for being the youngest medalist ever. I think at Worlds, 17, at, uh, what is he, 18? Wait, what? Yeah, why did I say he was 20? What am I? I think Mo and Keeley are 20. You know, still recovering from the lack of sleep on Sunday night. But the great John Kellogg has pointed out that, yes, Aaron Knighton today is 18 years, 179 days old. Back in 1976, I mean, Aaron Knighton still is the youngest to win a world medal. and He did it in the 200, but Dwayne Evans was 17 when he won an Olympic medal in 1976 in the men's 200 bronze medal. So John Kellogg just wants that out there. thinks that Dwayne, is, who's now 63, is getting the short shaft. Okay, this is crazy, though, this Knighton thing. Hold on. At the LA Olympics, Aaron Knighton will be younger, Robert, than Noah Lyles is right now. Well, that can't be right, because you said Noah Lyles was 25, and you said Aaron Knighton would be 26. I was wrong. Knighton's 18. I was going off this flawed math that Knighton is 20 years old. He's 18 years old. That's crazy. I think Noah Lyles, kind of young guy. No, he's 25. Holy crap. He's going to have his hands full, man. Knighton, I mean, this it's going to be just what an event. I hope they can just keep going at it. Well, that's assuming that Knighton continues to get better. He looks young. I feel like he is going to continue to get better. Some people mature early. But, you know, the Jakob Ingebrigtsen's the child prodigy who keeps getting better and better isn't always the case. Sometimes they're Mary Canes. But I do think Knighton's going to be that way. This is why I think Noel Lyles will be a footnote in history. I don't think he'll ever win an Olympic gold, sadly. And I think Aaron Knighton's going to win a lot of them. But temporarily, it was good you know, to see Noah doing so well. Um, so those are my big winners. My big losers, I've already said Borrega and the Ethiopian men. How about second one here? All of the U.S. 800 runners not named off thing, Mo. I mean, if we told you before the meet that none of the U.S. men would get out of the first round. Now, Isaiah Kovic got screwed, in my opinion. He runs a lifetime best, so maybe it's not fair to include him in this thing because who knows? I mean, I said Isaiah Kovic. Isn't Jonah? What's his first name? Jonah Kovic? Yes. We need John here, obviously, to fact check everything. But nobody would have believed me that nobody could get out of the first round. I mean, yes, the semifinal, getting into the final is pretty hard. But then, it, like, that would have been impossible to believe. And then what if I told you before the race that the U.S. Okay, I'll think Moe's going to win. That, that wouldn't have been a shocker. But I'm going to tell you that Raven Rogers and Ajay Wilson go six and eight in the final. People would have said, no way. They were, That was huge. Like, I don't know, like extremely disappointed for both of them. And Ajay Wilson has really just, she's not brought it. I mean, I know she won the world indoors and last year she was off her game, but she's been off her game. Like 2019, huge favorite at Worlds, right? Doesn't bring it, doesn't bring it here. So I just think it was a huge missed opportunity for her. She was looking so good at USA's. And then really no explanation here for what happened. Ajay was the one athlete, Robert, who didn't come through the mix zone. And officially the only way of getting, avoiding the mix zone is an injury. So I'm kind of hoping 
I don't want anyone to be injured, but that would be a better explanation. But it's actually just double checking her Instagram, make sure we had no updates. I see nothing of an injury. Could double check, but yeah, it was very disappointing. I mean, as a whole, Robert, I wouldn't say U.S. distance running was a major disappointment, but the U.S. distance runners as a whole, it's a disappointing meet, right? Or maybe we have low expectations, but I would have said the over-under for medals coming in was one and a half. We underperformed that. Or maybe two and a half. That was disappointing. I think Mo brought it. I thought Grant Fisher ran pretty well in both his races. I mean, tripping on the rail with 100 to go, is, he'll be wondering about that one forever. But Evan Jager making the final was good. Sinclair Johnson, at least, you know, she made the final. wasn't really a factor, but the steeplechase woman, disappointing. Well, I think we need to compare to expectations. I mean, what, what were we thinking coming in? Definitely a medal in 800, at least one. Probably I think most people would have said two. One and a half for certain in, in that event for the women's 800. I don't think I was expecting a medal on the men's side. 1500, I thought Sinclair maybe could get a medal. I would have given her like a 25, 50% chance. Steeplechase, I wasn't very confident, but maybe you could say 25% chance for the women. But I certainly wasn't expecting anything in the five or the 10. I, I mean, I thought Fisher had a chance. The women's five and 10, no. So maybe another 25. So yeah, I think two, two would have been, if we gotten two, it would have been okay. We only like a one, but yeah, man, we'll never know what would have happened with Grant Fisher. Like the fact that he lost his balance and then just did nothing makes me think he was tired, but coming off that turn before he lost his balance and hit the rail, I'm like, he's meddling. They just rode that rail perfectly. He's way better than Luis Grialba, but it does show you if, you if you're trying to pick off people, maybe you can steal a medal by just running in the back because people were just not moving at the end of that race, except for Inga Britson and Grialva, really. So, all right. And then my third loser, and I didn't want to lead with this because I don't want to be too negative. Like, I thought the meet was a big success. Um, amazing competition. It looked pretty good on TV. But being there in the first half when the crowds weren't great, that was disappointing to me. There's no way to spin this. And I think you've written this in the doc. It says wins above replacement. Like, yeah, it was a good crowd, but it's a tiny crowd. Like, what were we expecting? Like, when you call so much to the major leagues, there's a bare minimum of acceptance. And, you know, I, I didn't have, I never expected it to possibly be like USA's with 3,000 people. Well, I did wonder that, but I looked up the, I'm like, there's got to be 10, 15,000 people across the world that are going to show up in Eugene to watch this race. We used to get 20,000 for the Olympic trials. And I looked at the ticketing thing. So I knew that the thing was already pretty full, but, it was still disappointing not to see sellouts. They said the last day was sold out, yet I can see the temporary stands not full. So I don't know what it is. Some people are, are speculating on the message board that are saying on the message board that ticket speculators bought a lot of the tickets because somebody was emailing us two weeks before Worlds like, I want to go the last weekend. Tickets are $1,000. So I don't know. Maybe they should have sold more tickets or had a general admission area. But to me, Tracktown USA takes a hit. Like I meant to write this article after pre- can we just admit the idea of putting every meet in Eugene is a good idea? It's too hard to get to. It's too small of a town. Like, you cannot get a place to stay. You have to stay an hour out of town or stay at a smoke-filled room at a Motel 6 or get lucky and find something on Airbnb. Like, to me, Tracktown USA took a hit. We can say Hayward Magic is still there. The performances were amazing. Like, to me, the Hayward Magic is kind of a myth. Like, 
Like Eugene's got good weather. It's hot during the day and cools off at night. So you get a lot of world-class athletes. You can get some amazing performances. Let's call that Hayward Magic. The crowd's into it. People are pumped. That's fine. Hayward Magic is still here, but Tracktown USA, to me, was a was a loser. Agreeing these championships. And I don't want to be negative because I was happy that we had them. I think it was good that we had them. I, I think that we had decent crowds. But if you told me, well, then seven years ago when we got the world, like they said, oh, the minimum seat has to be thirty five thousand. I said, I don't care. Like they'll build a twenty thousand seat stadium and it'll be packed every night. I thought it would be like too much. And some again, some on the message boards are saying, well, yeah, that's why people bought out the tickets and we're trying to scalp them. But I don't know if that's the excuse or not, Robert. It might explain some of the tickets, but yeah, the attendance was usually disappointing. I mean, Sunday, I would say it was sold out. I mean, sure, there's a few empty seats, but that could be scalpers or people not showing up. Saturday was pretty close. Maybe you could argue Saturday and Sunday. The other day's no way. And they, they released ticketed spectators numbers. I can look those up, but they were going up Saturday and Sunday, so that doesn't support the theory that scalpers had all the other tickets the other days. And yeah, I, I just remember when we got the worlds, the Brits were like, Oh, it's going to be in Eugene, like middle of nowhere. And I'm like, I guarantee one thing it's packed every single night packed. They get 20,000 for Olympic trials. You know, it's how many seats they can build. If it's 30,000, they'll fill it up. The stadium only held 15 and they couldn't fill it up. That's sort of downside with the world's. Otherwise, I feel like the world's yeah. They put on track ten USA. They put on. They know how to put on events. They put on a great event. Like it's the world championships. The event is going to run smoothly. I think Eugene does it better than everyone else. But even like Doha, like the trains run on time at Worlds. That's never going to be a concern. So I don't know what people expected. The attendance was disappointing. Hopefully, we can build off that. I, I thought we might have more buzz in attendance, but when Worlds are all said and done. Maybe we got more people to pay attention a little bit because it was in the United States. Team USA probably did better. Maybe that creates a little buzz. We got a beautiful stadium that's going to be a legacy for Phil Knight and Nike and Oregon. We have a wonderful place to host track meets for the next 50, 60 years. And we got more primetime viewing. We had better TV times for the United States. So a few more million people watched the world than would have otherwise watched. So I don't know. Is, is that worth it? I, it was worth doing. We needed to do one here. I don't know. Did, did the European TV numbers, there's also, there's downsides of everything, right? There's no free lunch. I'm an economist. I'm sure European TV's down because the, the meat was at a terrible time for European TV. So you got to think of those things as well. Well, and I do think that's one of the reasons why the crowd may not have been big because, you know, Americans were choosing between USA's or world. Some went to USA's because it was cheaper and easier to get to. Some went, saved up their money and went to Worlds. But Europeans, they've got to go to Commonwealths and they got the European champs. So if you're debating between which trip you're going to blow five grand on, you're not going to go to all three. So there's just a little bit too much that may have also hurt too. But I think it's an amazing stadium, well, but I think it's too big. And I think they need to do something about the shade. Like the big, the number one complaint to people was, I heard this before the meet from Oregonians, like it rain, it's either rainy here or really hot. And there's not shade on, on, on the between on the backstage. There's no shade really, so it can be very, very hot, particularly when these meets are run that time of day, or it can be very, very rainy. So I think the stadium is a little bit too big permanently. I think you ought to spend another fifty million and put, or I don't know how much it would cost to somehow 
put a, a cover on it or, or reduce the size of it moving forward, but he needs to put more shade for the people because the people that were there by the 1500 meter start, a lot of them were moving to the other side just to go to standing room only or something because it was so hot. Um, but you talked about what's the legacy going to be. To me, I got back and I picked up the Baltimore Sun to see how this thing was covered in the local paper. Now, the New York Times did a good job of covering it on site with some people, but this thing was barely in the Baltimore paper. So, I mean, our sports page isn't amazing, but like at the top, they'd have like a little, like one, two paragraphs at the top, like about what happened. I didn't see any articles on it except for on Thursday, Thursday of Worlds, I saw an article, a front page article feature on Kira D'Amato. The marathon had already happened on Monday. It's because they have a content sharing thing with the Washington Post, and she's kind of close to Baltimore, but it's like, you know, she probably lives an hour and a half south of here. But there was no like front page stories, world fastest men, one, two, three, sweep. And I think that there was an AP article that's about Sydney McLaughlin's world record, like on the weekend. But, you know, it's not like they're getting new eyeballs by. Like, that's to me, like, one of the most disappointing things to me. And Jonathan Galt asked Max Siegel this, like, how are you promoting this to the, what was your specific strategy to promote this to kick off Worlds? Now, you know, supposedly USATF and World Athletics are going to work together to have some meets to try to build buzz for 2028, but they should have done more media outreach. Like, USATF's PR department is not good. Like the Times of London was that trying to ask them questions and they're blowing them off. There was zero media strategy. And the perfect example of this is I can't believe this. I wrote an editorial. I haven't published it yet. Well, told me to turn it down, but I still can't believe that Max Siegel scheduled a press conference in the middle of Worlds while the competition was going on. Thursday night at Worlds, 40 minutes before this press conference, right before the 5,000 heats, heats go off, he says, we're going to have a press conference in 40 minutes with John Carlos and Tommy Smith. These are Olympic, in one full sweep, he disrespected two Olympic legends, all the competitors competing at the time, and showed how incompetent USATF is, is being run, yet he's being paid over a million dollars a year. Because you've had seven years to plan for this. Why are you scheduling a meet in the middle of the meet? You're sending the signal that the competition doesn't matter, that nobody wants to run the prelims. Well, if no one's going to watch the prelims, if you're not going to watch it for free, you think people are going to spend $200 to watch it? There's not that many finals every night. This is embarrassing. The meet doesn't start till five. He should have scheduled this weeks, if not months ahead of time. And it should have never been scheduled during the meet. It should have been scheduled at 4.30, right before the meet started. Like, there's no excuse for this, period. Agreed. I mean, this thing was announced with, what, like, an hour notice or something? It was crazy. And it was great that they brought in some of these old stars. And then I saw press, Max pushing for... Uh, John and Tommy to, like, light the cauldron in 2020. 28, and that would be great. You know, show how much America's come, what, 50, 60 years. Be cool. But, and so they were mentioned on the NBC broadcast, but people would want to talk to them, you know, with advance notice. You schedule a press conference with like no notice. And as you said, Robert, it's during the meet. They should, USATF should say, no, that's not allowed. I'm sorry. There's competition going World on. Athletics. Yeah, World Athletics should say, sorry. You can't use our facilities for a press conference while the meet's actually on. You know, if they would earlier find if something's, I guess now then I want to, I want to, I want to make an exception, right? If the decathlon or something's going on, but no, they shouldn't pick a different time. There's a competition going on. It's disrespectful to the athletes. Yeah. The, the, the article, the, the article that I wrote that Weldon 
wouldn't let me publish early in the week because he thought it was too negative, it was entitled, Why Isn't Track and Field More Popular in America? Ask USATF Max Siegel. He, he too doesn't think it's worth watching. So I may publish some version of it slightly toned down. I just thought, to me, this shows, you know, I, I just, it's like the Siegel trifecta. I said, you're disrespecting the competition. You're showing how disorganized you are. And you're disrespecting these athletes who deserve better than they should have. You know, if the New York Times knew they were going to be there, maybe they would have written a story ahead of time. They could plan this out. Um, and I was thinking about this. Walden thinks I heart too much on his money. But when he made $4 million that one year, he could fly. And maybe the newspapers would turn it down. But in Europe, they, they, they'll take this money. <laughs> you can fly someone to the meet. You could fly 100 reporters at $10,000 each for a million dollars. And they could come cover the meet. And then there would be stuff written in their local paper about it. Like, that's a much better, if you want to generate buzz, you've got to, nowadays in our niche with the algorithm, you got to reach people who aren't track and field fans. Now, maybe not many young kids are reading the newspapers. Let's say newspapers, not the right example. I think TikTok or something. Hire a couple of influencers on TikTok. Maybe that's the future of our sport. Robert, on the Max Siegel front, I have good news to report. He did not fly private to Worlds this year. But he was on the first plane out of Eugene after Worlds ended on Monday. Well, I guess he could have flown out Sunday night. He didn't do that. Max, Renee Washington, and yours, and yours truly were on the first plane out, 5, 10 a.m. out of Eugene on Monday. And he was sitting in first class, correct? Oh, Robert, please. What do you expect him? He probably flies out of miles to get bumped. and give me a break. Who cares? I care, and I'm dead serious about this. I absolutely care. If this guy's making $4 million some years, more than you know, north of a million dollars a year. A nonprofit should not be paying for him to fly first class. He needs to set a symbol. Weldon, they laid off ten to twenty percent of their staff during COVID. If he wants to fly first class, he makes enough money that he can buy those seats himself. If he wants to and flying private, please, his time is not that valuable. He should not be flying private. So, I, I to me, like, and it's natural for the media to find things to complain about. And the European media complained about the dorms. You didn't see that much in the U.S. media about it, but. I mean, you had the Borley brothers saying this is disrespectful. If the head of World Athletics and the head of USATF is not willing to do have the same accommodations and same travel as everybody else, then it shouldn't exist. The athletes fly to Portland and take a bus down. Why doesn't Siegel do that? Or if I was Subco, I would just as a sign say, "Hey, it's not perfect. It's a college town. You're going to be in dorms, but I'm going to spend the first night in the dorm with you," or something like that. Just to just to be a man of the people, like. But I also think it's wrong. You invite someone to your house. If someone came to my house and, and with air conditioning wasn't using, I would let them use my room with air conditioning. Like, I think it's wrong that we invite the, uh, the world to our home and then we give our athletes air conditioned rooms and not everybody else. And that's the thing about the first class. If the athletes aren't flying first class, then guess what? Max Siegel shouldn't be flying first class either unless he's paying for it out of his own pocket. I understand the sentiment. It's about the 20th thing wrong with USATF, so... Okay, I think you and I both have childcare duties coming up soon. Do we have a voicemail from Josh Kerr? We'd like to hear what he did. He talked a big game, and then midway through Worlds, and he was like the buzz. And I was thinking, like, I had picked Jake Whiteman to win this thing on my prediction contest, the Coros prediction contest. By the way, folks, we should have probably led with this at the beginning of the show. Thank you, Coros, for sponsoring it. But Weldon and I rocked it. We were, I think I was like 25th out of 1,700 people. We went 1-2 in the Ivy League group. But... I remember when Josh was talking the big game. I'm like, what about Jake Whiteman? Why is anyone talking to him? Like, what was he saying at this? He was just winning the he was just running efficiently, saving it for the big one. So has Josh called in? Well then. 
Oh, and the more worlds went on, the more I started to think maybe the real Josh Kerr is the fake Josh Kerr because, you know, we don't hear from him when he's actually got a big competition going. It was crazy. Josh was just running through the heats, looking so confident, and, and I didn't have a lot of expectations for him coming in. And then trying to see what the team final was. Wow, he called the day after. We get a call from the fake Josh Kerr. Boys, fake Josh Kerr here. What an amazing race last night. Edinburgh Athletic Club's own Jake Whiteman, world champion. Couldn't be happier for Jake, and I couldn't be prouder to call myself his teammate. That's championship racing. That's how you do it, boys. Here's some advice. All you high schoolers out there, you college kids, even you hobby joggers on the world-famous message board that hate me and call me fat, I know you're chin up for your turkey trot at Thanksgiving so you can win it in 16 high. But there's the advice. Save your best performance for when it matters most. And that's what Jake Whiteman did. Know what I did? I finished fifth. But Jake Whiteman, he's your deserved world champion. Couldn't be happier for the guy, like I said. Anyway, boys, I'm off to Birmingham now. I've got to run down Jake at the Commonwealth Games. Talk soon. Cheers. That was a good voicemail. I mean, I, I just, he's giving credit to another runner. And I actually really like that. I noticed that, like, when the race ended, what did he do? He congratulated Jake Whiteman. Like, you can't win them all. What a race for Whiteman to have his dad announcing, his dad and coach. Just unreal. And I'm glad that, I don't know. I, I think it's more interesting when people talk a big game. But if you're going to, whether you're going to talk or not, you still need to be a class act. You can talk and be a class act. I think most people that don't talk aren't a class act. But Josh appears to be both. He's, he's a unicorn. So be interesting to see what he does the rest of the year. Folks, it's not even August. That's what I'm excited about. The Commonwealth Games start tomorrow, apparently. And then I think um, we've got Diamond Leagues, though, between Commonwealths and Europeans. I didn't realize this. I mean, we got a new Diamond League in Poland next Saturday, August 6th. And then Monaco is a week from Wednesday, August 10th. So I really hope, you know, are Kerr and these guys, Whiteman, anyone going to run Monaco? Bad news, Robert. There's no men's 1500 in Monaco this year. You're kidding. No. Women's 15. So I wonder if KPA, KPA got on the track to get the world record. Then Sidney McLaughlin was announced. But I would much rather see her like take on, on Shawnee Miller or Thing Mo at 400. Uh, I think I think Thing Mo should probably beat that and have her run the hurdles again. But it, it's great. I mean, she. This is like the premier Diamond League since 2019. She doesn't race very often, so it's good to see her out there. 100%. People say, Jonathan was like, what, what else can she do? I'm like, she needs to run on the circuit. She's never really run on the circuit as a pro, has she? So New Balance is paying her a ton of money, and that's probably mainly to be an American star. But when she competes at the Worlds, guess what? She's wearing a Nike singlet on her damn chest, which is crazy to me that that's allowed. I don't know how that's allowed. I read somewhere that it might be a violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act, but then I realized that was a lawsuit in writing this article. But yeah, go to Monaco, get get your get New Balance some publicity. So 
I'm so bombed. I look forward to the men's 1500 Monaco every year, but women's 1500. Hey, if I was Faith, is she like too big for the Commonwealth? I don't like people blowing stuff up, but I'd love to see her take a crack at that world record. Um, I'm really excited to see good officer guy get that gold medal. That's one of the big things for me. I would like to try to see her sit on Faith instead of push it all the time. But there's a lot more I want to see. So I'm going to try to figure out how to watch these Commonwealths, how to watch the Europeans. But I hope that some of these people keep it going because I'm curious, you know, is Inga Britson still vulnerable in a tactical 1500? Is he unbeatable in a championship 5,000? You know, will we get these questions a answered? You know, what was a fluke at Worlds? What wasn't? European 1500 should be great, assuming he runs it. No, he's running the 800. Whiteman's running the 8. Yeah, I was about to say, never mind. I take it back. Commonwealth. We got to talk about Commonwealth on the Friday 15, Robert. Yeah, it should be great. So join the supporters club now. We'll talk about the Commonwealth on Friday. But before then, we've got our Paul Doyle interview. And after that, folks, I think I'm going to share the audio of me and Jonathan Galt arguing, in case you didn't hear it, because you're not a supporters club member. I had one of my best predictions ever. What was going to happen to the women's 5,000? Jonathan Galt said, let's send him a good day was his pick. And I about lost it. And what I said ended up being 100% accurate. So I'm also the same guy that thought that Jakob Ingebrigtsen would win the 5,000. That was 100% accurate. So Jakob Ingebrigtsen has said my opinions are different. I just call them accurate. So that will be after the Paul Dole interview. Until next week or Friday, if you're a supporters club member. Bye-bye. We're pleased to be joined by Super Agent Paul Doyle. Paul represents so many athletes, from Shelly Ann Fraser-Price to Sandy Morris to Ryan Krauser. Who am I missing, Paul? Well, Devin Allen, I think, is someone to talk <laughs> about for sure. That's why we have you on the show, but we've known Paul for a long time. He's a great guy in the sport. His first athlete that he ever represented was a guy by the name of Peter Coughlin, who was Weldon's teammate at Yale. And anyways, Paul, thanks for joining us. Obviously, one of the big stories at Worlds was the Devin Allen DQ. And right after it happened, I bumped into you in the mix zone. And you were immediately said to me, that was not a disqualification. And you started saying, you know, uh, in Worlds Indoors 20 years ago, the uh, help me out with his name. I'm yeah, it was Colin Jackson had had a very similar situation where he got called as a false start at 0 0.098. And then back then you were allowed to have one. And then the second one you're DQ'd on. And on the recall, he went 0 0.102. So two thousandths of a second. So almost the same as Devin, where he was 0 0.101 in the semi and 0 0.099 in the final. Yeah. And, with, and, with, and you told me that we didn't even know about Devin Allen being that good in the semifinal, which is crazy. Right. And then you also sort of said anecdotally, I've just noticed these reaction times are 0 0.11, 0 0.12, when normally they're like 0 0.14, 0 0.15. People are all universally reacting to the gun. And since then, it's been pretty much total vindication for you. Everything you've said to me in that mix zone has, has been proven true. Statisticians have looked at it. It seems like every heat of every round of worlds this year, they started faster than in past worlds, which to me means something was up with the timing system. Um, but 
the disqualification stands. At the time you were talking about having him get in a race, you said he was in the form of his life. He was going to win that race. So what's happened since then? Can you give us an update? Like, did World Athletics ever sort of talk to you about it, admit that they're concerned about it? Yeah, well, I raised it with World Athletics immediately after, and they were concerned. They went and they looked at it, and moving forward, they said they're very comfortable that the system is working right. Now, I don't know if it means they fixed it and now it's working right or they evaluated it and it was working right. But to me, it, it's statistically impossible for the things to have been happening that way um, and, and not have a calibration error. Like There had to be a calibration error that you don't go from averaging one fast reaction per championships to having 25, which is which is one of the most eye-opening stats there was, you know, each average one reaction time under 0.115 in all the previous championships. And then you have 25 in this championships. It's virtually impossible statistically for that to happen. So there had to be a calibration error. Seems like that to me, but, and then this, some other, I forgot who published it recently. Devin Allen is one of the top like 1% or top 5% starters consistently, right? I mean, he's known for that. Yeah, and that's what Colin Jackson was too, known for that. So I was panicking the whole rest of the time that Jasmine Camacho Quinn was going to have one because she's notoriously a fast reactor as well at different times. So, um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Definitely, some people react faster than others, and this point one zero zero arbitrary number that's been thrown out there—it's very conveniently a round number, right? And that, that's obvious why they chose it, but it's wrong. Um, you know, Devin himself raised the point. Said, "What if I ran nine five in the hundred? They're going to tell me no. That's too fast. You can't do that. You know, <laughs> it's and not count the time. So it's essentially what he's doing. He's reacting faster. But I still do think that this is a, a major calibration issue as well. The only other theory I heard was that maybe the the shoes, you know, like a carbon plate in the shoes, could cause the force to be quicker. But the shoes haven't changed since Tokyo, right? Like it's not like the shoes changed in the last year, have they?" No, they haven't. And yeah. that's just, I understand that, yeah, that's something that's different, but it's also nonsensical. How can a shoe make you react faster? You know, it's, it's, I don't see how that could even be possible that what you're wearing on your feet makes you press faster with your legs. Yeah. One theory that was proposed to me was, well, these are American starters and it's in America. They don't normally DQ if it's 0.010. So they're timing the gun. So I'm like, this doesn't make any sense because most of the athletes, the starter is not the same for every meet. And most of the athletes have never competed in America before. And then just to make sure that that's not true, I'm, I'm going to try to get the reaction times from USA's. They're not published. But I assume this meet was faster than the USA start times, which would yeah. throw that one you know away. And, and it, it wasn't an American starter either, as far as I'm aware. But based <laughs> on what Evan Allen said, the gentleman had a pretty thick accent that he was speaking to on his appeal so so how, how's devin doing like what he seems like he's someone that's amazingly good at compartmentalizing his life i mean his dad yeah. dies on saturday he still wins usa's on sunday has yeah. he gotten over this is are, are you and i the only ones still outraged or is he still a little bit upset about this no he's he's very upset um you know devin is really great at i guess hiding his true feelings when when it's appropriate but uh you know he's the type of guy you know, I've known him for seven years. I've never once seen him in a bad mood. 
you know, even, even when his dad passed and, you know, he was still in the mix zone joking around with his, his buddies and that sort of thing. So he was able to compartmentalize that. And I'm sure he's doing the same thing here, but I mean, this was, this was to be the moment of his life and it was stolen from him. You know, this is with his running this for his dad, you know, after everything that had gone on there, uh, he actually had had a, a slight hamstring strain on the Wednesday before as well. And when, been working through that with medical team and got it to a point where, you know, if you watch the video of his heat, he looked technically awful. And that's because he was running, protecting his hamstring, um, and trying to make sure he was going to be okay. But then in the semifinal, he was fine again. And, you know, in my mind, not to take anything at all away from Grant Holloway, he's an amazing athlete, but the, as a competitive Devin is, Having already run twelve eighty four this year, running in front of the whole crowd, running for his dad, there's no way he loses that race, and and uh, and we'll never get to see it. It's it's been stolen from the fans. It's been stolen from Devin, and uh, that's unfortunate. One of the things that a German newspaper guy wanted to ask me was, what can be done about this, if anything? I mean, he's like in America, don't people sue? Like, hasn't he lost? well north of six figures because of this and i mean you're the agent he, he lost a lot of money right from not winning that world title he absolutely did more more than you can imagine more than most athletes would um just because of the way things are set up with his his situation um so yeah we, we are looking at those possibilities um I, he's been wronged and and uh it needs to be fixed Yeah, it's unfortunate in so many levels, but I mean, yeah, if Devin could be compensated, that's great. But also, I want I want the truth to come out. I don't think they've told us the truth. I mean, it's crazy that they're just going to pretend that this was some natural occurrence. And if a lawsuit can get that to come out too, that's even better because fans of the sport, you know, we need to trust what we see. And when it, across the board, everyone's like, no, this isn't right. It's just crazy. I mean, if you picked one athlete who this shouldn't happen to, Eugene is such a unique circumstance for Devin Allen. Yeah. I, I mean, there's other athletes who, you know, Sydney's great. She's breaking the world record, all this other stuff. But this is Eugene. His dad has died. He's going to football. It's just. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, the stars were aligned for this to be the greatest moment of the world championships, the, the greatest moment of Devin Allen's sporting career. You know, who, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe he's going to, you know, catch four touchdowns in a Super Bowl someday. I don't know. But, to date, this would have been it. This would have been the greatest moment in his sporting career. And he's a guy that is so beloved by, by everybody, like by his competitors, by other people in other events. He's just super respected. And, uh, you know, the, any, anybody that I stayed with out in Eugene, if I was staying at Airbnbs, I would just ask them once they found out I'm involved in track, I'm like, Oh, who's your favorite athlete? Oh, it's Devin Allen. <laughs> you know, um, everybody loves him. So it's, it's unfortunate that this happens to a guy like that um, when all the stars were aligned. And, you know, like you say, something needs to change. Um, you know, th there will be a new rule for sure coming out. Um, but, but I do agree with you, Weldon, that this needs to be acknowledged and the truth needs to come out. Yeah, I don't see how it couldn't be error and then one thing when i was talking to people like well it's a different timing system from you know diamond league to here to olympics but i'm like if you're it doesn't matter who's doing the timing system if it's supposed to be accurate to one one thousandth of a second 
it's supposed to be perfectly accurate. So otherwise, you need to let him go with this point on a nine. But one one thing that seemed clear to me, and this German guy was saying, you know, can you sue? I said, well, officials make mistakes in all sorts of sports. It's not like you get a bad call in the Super Bowl and they give you the, the Lombardi trophy. And I think that's one thing that World Athletics seemed to really be, to me, falling back on was, we've asked the timing people, they're standing by it. So they were kind of pushing it onto the officials, I guess, which, I mean, I guess I, I can't totally blame them for that. But, you know, at, at the time, one thing when it happened, you said, I've just got to get him in another race, whether it's at a high school track or an exhibition or whatever, he needs to run again. And I tried to build some momentum for that by asking Grant Hallway. He's like, yeah, let's run it back. Um, I know you looked into that, whatever happened to that. Is he going to run a race before training camp starts or training camp may have already started? Like, like yeah, what training, on training camp started today. Um, so he's, it's not going to happen this year. It's likely not to happen again. I mean, the hope is that Devin is coming back to the track and field. He has every intention to. Uh, he did it all through college. He did football and track. Um, you know, I'm a Patriots fan, so I'm hoping the Eagles don't make the playoffs and he's back to track a few weeks earlier. <laughs> so um, don't, I, I don't want Devin to know that I'm not cheering for him. Of course, I, I hope he has 100 touchdowns and the team still loses so he doesn't make the playoffs. But um no, because I want to have him back in track and field, and that's that's his intention. Uh, and I think if he has a very successful year this year in the NFL, I think they'll be a lot more likely to allow him to do that. You know, if he has a year where he's struggling trying to learn the playbook and getting his hands and his rhythm back, they may not be so, uh, you know, on board for letting him take some time off to, to run track. Your full expectations, he'll make the team, right? Because I heard... At Worlds, I said, "Oh, Paul, he may not make the team. He may not. He may be on the practice squad." Yeah, no, he's going to be on the roster. He's too good of an athlete. He's too. I think he's too important of a guy to have in the locker room as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't see him not making the t- the team. I mean, back before I even knew Devin, I had NFL scouts calling me and asking me about him, and they said, "Is he going to do track or is he going to do football?" And I said, "Well, you know, this he can make a lot of money in track. You know." hundreds of thousands of dollars for a long career. And the, the scout said to me, like, Paul, this kid's a, he's a first round pick. He'll get that as a signing bonus. So I mean, that, that tells you what the scouts were thinking of him back then. And, uh, I think he's only gotten better. He's gotten stronger and faster since then. So, so we'll see. I, I have full confidence in him making the team and being a, a productive athlete for the squad. So you've got a lot of experience on putting on meets. I mean, one thing I forgot to do when I was introducing you, he's also, the, you're the founder of the American Track League. By the way, we have one, what, Saturday in Memphis? Is that right? Yeah, Friday and Saturday in Memphis. It's going to be, we're closing out with a bang. I hope it's going to be our best one. And is that on TV anywhere or is that going to be just local? It's going to be on ESPN2 uh, from 11.30 to 1.30 on Saturday. And then we have our post-meet a party on Beale Street where we're putting on a pole vault event. So Chris Nielsen hopefully going after American record on Beale Street. That will be on ESPN3 from 7 to 11 p.m. And who do we have in the meet? Uh, well, in the pole vault, we got Chris Nielsen. I'll be honest, Max Paquette's been handling a lot of this because uh, I've been busy with Worlds and all that. Um so I don't know the the start list quite as well as I should, but there's something like 10 women under 11 seconds in the 100 meters this year. Um, we got Tiana Daniels in there, Mary Bessette Price. Uh, the women's hurdles is outstanding. Alicia Johnson getting redemption from her DNF in the at the Worlds. 
uh, and going up against Tania Marshall and uh, Tia Jones, the two that were just off the team. So pretty good redemption story there in the hurdles. Um, uh, Josette Norris is running the 1500. Heather McLean is dropping down to the eight, and I'm expecting big things from her based on some time trials we've seen recently. So, uh, yeah, overall should be a really good meet. Well, cool. Glad you're doing that. Now, what about this Allen race? Did, was he not interested? Could you not get anyone, Eugene, to do it? Like, what, how, what, what did you try to do there? Well, we honestly, we tried to get a rerun during the world championships on the track. I know it was... Maybe I'm an idiot for thinking it was possible, but we really tried and, we, and I feel like we got close, but in the end, it just, we couldn't get the support behind it. I think a big issue for the, if world athletics was going to allow that to happen. And a big part of that would be them admitting they messed up, you know, and admitting that there was a mistake. So, um, we tried and in the end, it just wasn't reasonable. All the athletes seemed to be on board. Um, you know, Grant was on board, uh, Hansel Parchment who had only had a cramp in his hamstring right before the race was on board. Uh, obviously, Devin was. Trey was down for it. So, yeah, I think it could have happened, but uh, logistically, it was would have taken almost a miracle to pull it off. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I and mean, when we were talking to Jonathan Galt, he's like, "It doesn't change the race." I said, "No, it doesn't change the race, but it's it's an event. It's it would yeah. raise all these guys' profiles." To me, it could have been it could have been the best thing for the sport since the Michael Johnson Donovan Bailey duel you know, which was ended up flop, but this one could have been great. I agree hundred percent. I just, I texted my family when the podcast started. I'm like, tell me anything you know about worlds. And one of the things they wrote back is like, Hey, some guy got controversial DQ. So then if they say, Hey, we're giving him a second chance. It's at 8 PM on Saturday or whatever. People would have tuned into that. Like, Oh yeah. The sport thinks so sort of like, Everything has to be by the rule book. I mean, that that Michael Johnson, Donovan Bailey race, I still remember it. Everybody was watching that thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was a kid in college, I think. But I, I guess take, looking at the world as a whole, you know, I mean, the hope is that we can build off this and make, you know, make tracks super popular in America. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we all woke up on Monday and that was the case. But what were your impressions of the world as a whole? Where do you think we go from here? I think it was solid. Um, the, the The beginning of the championships wasn't as good as the end. The crowd crowds weren't filling up at the beginning as much as they did at the end. Um, and maybe that's because they started dropping ticket prices and making sure people were coming. Um, the feel, I'll, I'll be honest, I was walking through the warm-up area and I was walking by the, uh, the ice tubs and I saw a guy in a Kenya uniform getting out of the ice tubs and in my brain, I said, what's a Kenyan guy doing at U.S. Champs? And then I realized, oh, no, this is World Champs. You know, we're so so used to being in Eugene for U.S. Champs or Olympic trials that that was my instinct. And, you know, a few people from World Athletics were, were not too happy at the start as far as, you know, the crowd and the size of the stadium. And there's definitely some shortfalls compared to normal World Championships and uh, the problem is if we had a bigger stadium, it would have been even more empty. That's that's an issue. But, I, you know, overall, I think the championships were were decent. And I think the athletes, as always, performed and made, you know, did some incredible performances that win things over. You look past any negatives that you see based on the positives that the athletes did. And there's some talk from Max Siegel of a 
some big domestic meets next year. Do you know anything about that? Is that sort of competition for your track league? I mean, it could be. This year, there were quite a few with Bermuda and Mount Sack and all that. And I, I don't see there's any issue with us coexisting. Um, but I'm glad to see them taking the initiative and in, in doing more. You know, it's been a long time coming. I've been working on it for years, so I'm glad to see them step up and try and uh, try and do more for the sport. Like, I, I don't have an ego in this thing. If If this is providing something good for athletes, I'm all for it. You know, and, and can we coexist? Can we work together? I, absolutely. I don't see why not. So I, mean, I don't think their intention is to squash the American track league or try to squash the American track league. And that's not our intention either. I'd love to coexist and have great opportunities for all athletes. That's one of the problems that it seems to me with track is everybody's doing their own thing instead of working. Like we don't need 15 big meets right now. We only have one. It's called the pre-classic. Why don't yeah. we go for four really good meets and be happy with that? But we can't even sell out worlds for 10 days. So I, yeah. I just, it seems weird to me that, I don't know. I hope in some ways you embarrassed them to getting them, these meets together because you were able to get these meets on ESPN and, it, and maybe they realized, Hey, this random agent, I don't want to call you a random agent, but this one agent can do it <laughs> with our resources. Shouldn't we be able to get a couple of meets on ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's the whole idea that, USA track and field's number one priority should be promoting the sport. And if, if American track league is doing a good job promoting the sport, they should support it any way they can. You know, the, I think they, their knee jerk reaction seems to be to compete and not lose control. But the reality is their goal should be just to promote the sport. And if we're doing it, they should support us and be behind it. Well, I guess two questions at the end. Did you have a favorite moment for worlds? And the rest of the year, what should we be most excited about? That's a, it's a tough one. Favorite moment at Worlds. Um, you know, I had a lot, I mean, we had, I had 12 medals in my management company, uh, if you include all the relays and all that. And, you know, I felt, I hate to say this as an American, but Canadians winning the four by one felt really good when I had Andre de Grasse. Uh, getting a little bit of redemption for not competing well in the individuals and winning that anchor leg. Um, but uh, crowds are coming through. I mean, I was, I was at the point where, um, you know, I was sit, sitting by the women's pole vault in Sandy Morris, who hadn't lost a meet all year, ended up getting the silver. And I know we shouldn't be upset with the silver, but she wanted a lot more. So that I had that. And then Devin Allen false started. And then, and then, uh, Ryan Krauser was losing to Joe Kovacs going into the fifth round. And I thought, oh my gosh, this couldn't go worse for me. And then Ryan pulled it out and then Shelly won the hundred right after that. So it was a, you know, it was a big, uh, a big turnaround, a turning point for me. So I guess Krauser throwing, uh, you know, a typical performance for him, 22-94 and breaking the, the meet record was kind of a highlight as well. Yeah, when I realized you you had all those athletes in one day, I thought, oh my god, that's worse than coaching. <laughs> it could be very stressful. The coaches have it pretty tough when they've got athletes going in the call room at different times and whatnot. But but yeah, that was a stressful night. All right, well, Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks for all you do for the sport, and um, we'll see you soon. All right, thanks, guys. All right, everyone. Rojo's so insecure. 
He wants everyone to hear how great his picks were and how wrong Jonathan Galt was. But hey, we got to give it to Rojo this time. Since he actually picked Jake Whiteman to win the 1500, we'll let him gloat with John from the Supporters Club podcast where they were debating who would win the women's 5,000 meters. Quick, women's 5,000. Here you go. I got today. I think she she won me over after that 10,000, closing at 60 point. Now, good today, day? Get Are you kidding? Well, then take his press card away from her. Is the fight that? Oh my God! This is. Did a woman you see that, her? She outkicked Helen O'Beary Sabona son to win the 10k, and she's the world record holder in the 5k. Could, oh could my she God! Not just do the same thing again? I'll bet Who you a thousand dollars straight up. She doesn't win this race. Yeah, no. I look. I saw today. She looked fantastic, and now you think it's a joke that she could win the 5k? She's the world record holder. She, she didn't just outkicked everyone to win the 10k. Gaudet was like Michael Norman today. She got lucky that the field was watered down. And she, she's now what? Is it, no, no, Robert, that's an absurd take. She closed at 60 point. That's one of the fastest closes we've seen in recent World Olympic history. It's a win at 10,000. And you think she got lucky? That's a ridiculous take. You should be ashamed of that take. Save the tape, people. Gaudet will be the third Ethiopian in that 5,000. This woman can never win. The only 5,000 she's won in like the last six years happened to be when she set the world record. So it's going to be hot as hell. She's got no chance in this race. It's going to be Gudolf Sigay first. 